Our Father, we, as we come to a close of this book of Hebrews, we are thankful that your Spirit superintended its writing. We're thankful for the man who wrote it and for the deep understanding he had about relationship with you and the importance of Jesus Christ, the new covenant and the symbolisms of the Old Testament that give birth to so many profound new things that come to you when, when all of the barriers are destroyed and we can have access with you. We are extremely thankful for him and for his faithfulness. And as we have sat now under his tutelage for many months, uh, we pray as we come to close that our hearts would be full of the message, <clears throat> that we would reflect back on these other 12 chapters and at least glimmers of things that were going on in most of the chapters would stay in our minds, that they would inspire us to be more faithful, cause us to realize the depth of what you've done in your Son, Jesus Christ. Cause us to realize the importance of who He is, the centrality that He holds to our salvation, uh, as well as to our future. So we thank you for these things, and now as we come to the end, we pray that you would give us great wisdom and that you would conform our wills, that they would be available to do what you ask us to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 13 uh, becomes the most... Uh, applicable of all the chapters we've looked at. As we saw chapters 1 through 10 uh, describing to us uh, the superiority of Jesus as He ushers in uh, a better covenant, uh, a relationship without boundaries. Uh, the only boundaries that we have right now are our life until death comes and we live in the very presence of God. And then in chapter 11, uh, those that have gone on before us who have understood to the degree that they needed to understand uh, all, all that this meant for us as, as children of God. And they inspire us. And so as we saw when we got to chapter 12, it was be inspired to look back into those people of chapter 11 and to realize that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith and to set our eyes on her, Him and uh, to not allow the... Uh, the, the, the daily things that are so insignificant or the sin that wants to trip us up to hinder us uh, walking in faith uh, like those of chapter 11 did. Indeed, uh, like those who have gone on before us in this age of the church, as we call it. So be warned. And we saw in chapter 12, verses 3 through 17, to be encouraged that because we are legitimate children of God, He takes active involvement in our life. And then in last, uh, last time we saw in chapter 12, chapter 12, verses 18 to 29, we saw the words, be warned, that uh, the very end of that uh, states to us a, a compelling word that our God is consuming fire. He uh, is the center to eternity, and therefore, as He images Himself upon the creation that He has made, He becomes the center of that too. And so He appeals to us, He warns us, the writer of Hebrews does, uh, see to it that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. Surrounded by deception, even inside of the church, we have to be attuned to God's Word, uh, that we might tune out those things that are not uh, in confirmation to what he said, what he clearly says. Those who want to twist and tangle and entice, 
both exterior to the church and more importantly, interior to the church, enticed with these words of irrelevancy and often uh, hypocrisy and too often um, error. And we need to be careful about that. This last chapter, chapter 13, which is all application, I've simply entitled Be Different. And um, I've taken uh, six things that I see here in this chapter, as we'll, we'll run through it pretty quickly. Uh, six things in which now that we understand the totality, the fullness of chapters 1 through 12, uh, he says to us, be different. Uh, be inspired. Be encouraged. Be warned. Be different. Six things. Number one, he says, treat each other differently. Let lover, love, brotherly love continue. And you do that in several ways. Uh, that kind of love that God wants us to have, one for the other. That kind of love that, that God has given to us in His Son, Jesus Christ, has, has four expressions in this passage. Number one, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, what he means exactly by entertained angels unawares, I think it would be fair to say we don't know, except that we never know when strangers come along, who they are, where they come from, or, or what they're doing, except that many times God will use them to bless us. Let's leave it at that. Uh, which ones are angels? How they're angels? Are they angels? Eh, that's better left unsaid in this word, except to say they come to us uh, from God's hand, and, and we are to give them hospitality. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now, notice the word here. Number one, it's not people we know well. Uh, in some way, they've, in the early church, they would have been people confessing Christ, so therefore we would have assumed they were followers. Now, we would have watched for a while to see, are they truly followers? but the observation would have merely confirmed what they actually were. And, and so they were strangers, however, to our lives. We're, we weren't positive who they were, but they came as confessing followers, and we took, the, we took that, uh, that confession. But second, he says, to show hospitality. Uh, th this concept of hospitality in the New Testament is so much richer and deeper than, than I think what we've come to understand in our day. Hospitality is people who like to have people over, have them for dinner, have for dessert. Now, that's, I'm, not, I'm not meaning to demean that, but that's not the fullness of the New Testament idea. Uh, because of the persecutions, because of the mobility of the gospel that had to go by foot and mouth, uh, maybe with an animal from time to time, but not... Uh, by airplane or radio or TV or DVD. It had to be taken person to person. Uh, the, there were lots of people wandering in those days. And uh, coming into new places, there weren't always a Motel 6 or some hotel. There would merely be places that people had in homes, but more importantly, there would be other followers of Jesus Christ who had been on it, were admonished here to open up their homes. And so we continue brotherly love by showing hospitality to strangers. 
and thereby some come and go, and we were unaware of their exact origin. We entertain angels unawares. The second way I think he says that we let brotherly love continue is we remember those who were in prison, as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Now, he's not, I don't think, talking about prisoners because they've stole something or because they broke the law. These are prisoners for the name of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> These are other believers who have been persecuted for their faith, and they have had everything they possess taken from them. Maybe their house, their job, they've been socially uh, cast, and they've been mistreated by the system that's out there. And since we are also in the body, we let brotherly love continue. Remember, by remember those who are in prison. In all probability, going to them while they're in prison, administering the food, in those days you wouldn't have necessarily been taken care of by the Roman Empire. If you didn't have good friends, you would have died of hunger very well, definitely of some kind of a sickness. So you were to remember those who were in prison as though we were in prison with them because maybe we should be, maybe we could have been, maybe we will be as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated. So we show brotherly love by remembering and ministering to actively, not being afraid to identify with those who are in prison because of their faith not being afraid to identify with them. Now, it becomes more difficult in a big world, but I think it, it means two things. Number one, at the very least, those who are closest to them geographically have a responsibility to reach out to those who are in prison in their environs. doesn't matter what the threat is. They're called to live in relationship to those people as if they themselves were in. And second, for those also who have distance, there's the need to be sensitive and tender and understanding and powerful in prayer and being willing ourselves to do what is necessary, to be disciplined with our own expenses and our own life that we do have more to give away to people who are mistreated in this world. Let, leather, let brotherly love continue by showing hospitality, by remembering and identifying with those who are in prison, by letting... And remembering and letting the marriage bed be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So brotherly love continues by maintaining the relationship and marriage that God intended, by not defrauding your brother and taking from him uh, what belongs to him, what belongs to them, man and woman. We don't steal that. And that's really the ideal here is that you come in and you steal something that doesn't belong to you. And, and, and he takes it one step further. Why? Because God is going to judge sexual immorality and adultery. Uh, sexual immorality, that's the collective word for that which is outside of marriage. But obviously adultery is also sexual immorality. But to be specific about the adulteress as well. So we protect that brotherly love by protecting our marriage and by not engaging in, in somebody else's marriage in a way that is totally inappropriate. And we protect the marriage bed by, by being careful to stay away from things, to know that our heart has been purified new, that we have an ability to let the Spirit speak deeply to us and let Him critique those things which it would entangle 
and those things which would entice, and to push away from those things, and to, to protect the marriage bed by staying away from adultery and sexual immorality. Why? Because that's the way God created it. But equally so, God will judge it. And then fourth, he says, remember to protect the brotherly love by keeping your life from the free of love of money. Now, I've taken all four of these as sort of a root from that idea. And you don't have to take it exactly that way. I do, because I think that is a way to explain treating each other differently by letting brotherly love continue, by showing hospitality, by remembering, identifying with those who are in prison, by, letting, by holding the marriage bed in honor and uh, not defrauding uh, your, your neighbor or your brother and realizing God will judge sexual immorality and adultery and by keeping our life free from the love of money. To be content with what you have. For he has said, look, I'm never going to leave you and I will never forsake you. So we can say confidently, because he never leaves me and because he never forsakes me, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So treat each other differently. This monetary frees up the ability to actually treat each other differently. And if we keep ourselves from the love of it, that which we have, we will be able to share and to assist and to give, and to give away to other people. Contentment with what we've got. Uh, that's always a difficulty, even from the good side. If I had more, I could do more. But God says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm there, you know, and I will take care of what your needs are. So don't let money dominate. Money becomes, in, in our societies, almost the epitome of a life out of control from God's point of view. Because it says that if I just have enough money, I'll be the man I want to be. I'll be the woman I want to be. I'll live where I want to live. I'll be free to go do anything I want to do. Want to do. I'll have enough to do everything I need to do. Even I'll have enough to give more than I ever thought to my children, whether it be food or clothing or house. But God says to us, look, you were not created to love something that is merely tangible. You love me, and therefore you love the brethren. So realize, I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. I'll provide for you. Treat each other differently. Brotherly love, hospitality, identifying with those who are in prison, the marriage belt held in honor, and free from the love of money. Not dominated by something other than the Spirit of God. Second, he says, follow the way of your leaders. And this, I like the way he says this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. So we're looking at those who are clearly uh, consistent with the Word of God. We, we, know, we know that those are the people we want to listen to. And he goes on to say, those are the people we want to emulate. So remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. It's not just that we like them. It's not just that, oh, they, they told us nice stories. Oh, they sang well. They seemed to be nice people. It's those who were clear about what God had to say, not about what they had to say. So remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And, I, and look at this caveat. Consider the outcome of the way of their life. So listen to their words. Remember them. They're the ones who spoke the word of God to you. And because they spoke the word of God to you, the word of God should have been in there. So take a look at the way of their life, the outcome of their way of life, 
And he doesn't say to imitate their life because each of those had to walk differently before God. God calls each of us to walk in a faith path that is different from the other. But it does say imitate their faith. Imitate that in that process of being centered in the Word of God, living a life that has definable, measurable, observable outcomes, imitate their life. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And we ought to be able to see in their lives the faith measurements that declare they believed God and walked with Him. Today's world, we really need to be careful that we have a more precise, trustable definition, measurement, observability on those we listen to who purport to speak the Word of God. Even those who... We want to make sure that we have a good measurement on the life of the people that we listen to. We want to see the outcome of their way of life and then imitate the faith that it came from. So, follow the way of life of your leaders. Third, be careful with the truth. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, by simply trusting God, by the gift that you given to that God has given to us, by nothing that we bring to it. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, for the identity to come from God and not from constrained things that the world or we conjure up to make ourselves at peace. It's good for the heart to be strengthened with grace. Not by foods, he goes on to say, external things, in this case foods, which have not benefited those, who de- who, those devoted to them. So that is, I offered the right foods, I ate the right foods, I did the right things, therefore I benefit from that. It's, it's, that's not the way God wants His children to live. We have an altar from which those, from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So we have no right to offer, that's not who we are, but the bodies of those animals, the blood is used to offer atonement for sacrifice, but the bodies are burned outside the trend. So be careful that grace is not defined by religious obligations. By, by perfunctory programs that make us feel good about something we've done or something we will do. Instead, we're strengthened, we're at peace, even though we are extreme recipients of mercy and God has to act. And we realize that the blood has been offered in the Old Testament, but the bodies of the, uh, of the animals that were used were burned outside the camp. And that's why this is key to the next thought, identify with Jesus. Be careful with the truth, but identify with Jesus. So Jesus also suffered outside the camp, outside the gate, in order to sanctify, set apart the people through His own blood. The blood was offered, but he, it was offered and He sacrificed, not in the, inside of the religious system, not in the way that everybody would accept would have would have expected instead outside the camp where the animals of the Old Testament uh, sacrifice sacrificial system were burnt. 
So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. Outside the camp is where the, where the rejection is. Outside of the camp is where the lepers go. Outside of the camp is where those who go who are not clean, religiously, sacrificially, in terms of man-created or even God-created, but man-maintained systems. Those are merely symbols of something that was greater in the very presence of God. So let's go outside to Him because He suffered outside the camp. He suffered outside of the traditional systems of acceptance. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach, the apparent rejection hung on a cross with two, other, with two crooks. He, the prince, He, the priest, He, the Son of God, between two individuals who deserved what they got. He endured the reproach of being outside the camp. Why? Well, because here, in this system, in what the Old Testament stood for, we have no lasting city. That was not meant to be forever. But we seek the city that is to come. That's what he says of those of chapter 11. They were seeking a city of, that was not of the making of this earth. And if, if they would have wanted one from this earth, they could have gone back to the one they came from. But instead they were, seeking, they were seeking one that God himself had prepared for them. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him... Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice, a costly something. It's not cheap and it's not easy. It's not merely words. It's words giving birth to life because the Holy Spirit lives within us to use those words to build the life of Jesus Christ in us. Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Jesus is the ultimate picture of sacrifice. And we follow that. And we offer these sacrifices because they're pleasing to God. So treat each other differently. Follow the way of your leaders by imitating their faith. Be careful with the truth. Identify with Jesus. And fifth, treat your leaders differently. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch. Literally, they lose sleep. They keep watch over your souls. As those who will have to give account, yes, they belabor because they know they're responsible for the Word, and they're responsible to, do, to minister it faithfully. And they're responsible to use the word to admonish your life that you too would walk faithfully in, in, the, in the venues and the avenues that God has called you to. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them, that is the leaders, do this with joy and not with groaning, 
in spite of the difficulty, in spite of the disappointment, in spite of people who are, who are, uh, are, are uh, disobedient, in spite of critique, in spite of those who do not fully live in the way God wants them to live, in spite of the challenge of constantly staying in the midst of the people of God. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you if they were simply doing it, doing it from perpunctory, if they were not picking up the word for themselves and living in the word themselves and so able to constantly encourage you, even when that encouragement broached on rebuke. And so he says, that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience declaring and act to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So treat your leaders differently. And he, and he says very, very confidently, I've done everything I can do honorably. And so I have done what God wanted me to do, and I have a clear conscience in this. So be different. Treat each other differently. Follow the way of life of the follow the way of the life of your leaders. Imitate their faith. Be careful with the truth. Identify with Jesus. Treat your leaders differently. And finally, do the will of God. And so he says, now may the God of peace, that's what God's all about. God wants peace. He created it in the garden with Adam and Eve. That was born in peace. He creates this in his son, Jesus Christ. Even the symbol, symbolic sacrifices of the Old Testament were to, to accentuate and anticipate a peace between God and men. Not because God is at odds with men in terms of relationship. It's because we are at odds with God because of our disobedience. God sits over us with wrath because of our disobedience. But then He pays that price by taking the wrath upon himself. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, that is, God effected the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the greatest shepherd of the sheep, that's Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. His blood is better than, than that of, of Levi and Aaron and all those other other offerings that they managed and superintended because he has a life that is indestructible. So by the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal government, equip you, may he equip you, the God of peace, with everything good. Why? That you may do his will. God equips us with the things that we possess, the good that we have, all of it, you name it, there it is. It sits in your hands. It belongs to God. It comes from God. It's to be stewarded for God. He gives us these good things that we may use them to do His will. And along the way, He working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. That He will use the, the, the sharper than any two-edged sword word of God, alive and active, to heal us and to bring us into the, the avenues that He wants us to walk. And that will, that will engender things that we do because of who we are, and those two things cannot be separated, who we are and what we do. 
those things will be work in us, measurable, tangible, decision-making things that are pleasing in His sight. How? Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so as we come to the end of this 13th chapter, as it sort of brings everything into focus from the first 12 chapters and reminds us that there are actions that come from who we are, be different, we are to treat each other differently. We are to follow the, 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 way, the life of our leaders, imitating their faith. We are to be careful with the truth. We are to identify with Jesus outside the camp, not inside the system. We are to treat our leaders differently because they focused on the Word, um, lose sleep, keeping watch over our souls. And we are to do the will of God. That's what He's created us for. The blood sprinkles us. The, eternal, the blood of the eternal covenant gets sprinkled on us. The blood of forgiveness of Jesus Christ. The wrath-bearing blood of, of, the, of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The great shepherd of the sheep. And by this, God then equips us. And from this, God then equips us with everything good that we may do His will. And now, Father, as we come to the end of this book, we thank You for its profound teaching. We thank You for the difficulties that give way to great explanation. And out of them, we find tremendous depth of understanding more of just how much of it means that this wrath has been borne by You in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has the indestructible life and is able to offer blood the blood of an eternal covenant that we might be reconciled to you forever. And so, Father, now as we embrace those words in this admonition and we understand the depth of life that ought to come from it, we ask that you give us strength. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.